0: Density
1: down, we'll explain. Workers in France, hundreds of thousands of them, take to the streets over proposed pension changes. And today on the show, we check in with the American Legion and the Alliance for Retired Americans. Welcome to the Friday, January 20th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. Matt Grills will be filling in for uh, Jeff Stopher He's on assignment in the western part of the country and Matt is the managing editor of the American Legion Magazine, legion.org for complete updates and we've got a couple of things to talk about as a result of the last Congress. But first, I want to talk about the uh, the February issue. The uh, The headline story is Fit for the Fight, The Korean War Exposed Flaws of Military Segregation. And this all coincides with February being Black History Month. And the article, which is written by Thomas Ward Jr., talks about President Harry Truman's executive order going back to 1948, pretty much banning racial discrimination in the armed forces. Well, turns out that when the Korean War began, Two years later, 1950, the Navy and the Air Force had begun integrating their ranks. However, the Army, well, they remained segregated. In fact, uh, the Secretary of the Army at that time, Kenneth Royale, said this. He said that African Americans were fearful, unreliable, and lacked the manly virtues of the warrior, making them unfit for the fight. That's the attitude of the Secretary of the Army in 1950 America. Well, obviously that has changed over the years, and we'll talk about how those changes were accomplished. So that's the first story. The second story is power up, and this involves energy independence. You may not have known this, but in 2019, the United States accomplished something it had not pulled off since the 1950s. We became a net exporter of energy, making we, United States, produce more than it consumed. So they didn't have to import. So the question is, why are we paying high oil prices? You know why? The the simple answer to that is energy is on the world market. And if there's a hiccup in one part of the world, everybody has to pay for it. The prime example of that, the war in Ukraine and how that disrupted oil, not just in the Ukraine, but also in Europe. So uh, this article, written by Alan Greenblatt, is another one that Matt's going to talk about. In the other segment of the show, we're going to talk about some uh, legislation that passed in the last Congress, and this was part of the budget bill. Good news for vets here. The first thing is the Buddy Check program, which is going to get some funding from our Congress, for a long time, the American Legion and a number of veterans organizations have been fighting veteran suicide, which I believe is like 20 suicides per day. It's ridiculous. It really is. And this Buddy Check program, if you Google Buddy Check or if you go to the American Legion website, you can read. In fact, they have a uh, brochure that you can download that essentially calls for wellness checks. You know, check on somebody. If you see something, say something. If somebody's encountering some mental health issues, maybe they lost their job, maybe their their health issue in general is not good, and they feel like committing suicide. Well, that's what the Buddy Check program is all about. They're funding that. Expansion of VA health care to all remaining World War II veterans. This is a surprise to me. Um, this is all part of the uh, legislative agenda. As a result, those vets... We'll have access to hospital care, medical services, and nursing home care. The other part that's funded is uh, what they call a special immigrant visa program for our Afghan allies, many of whom are still endangered by the Taliban. Now, that war in Afghanistan, which went, what, 20 years? We relied, when we sent military over there, we relied on interpreters. To help our military out. Well, guess what? They need to come back because if they stay there for the very fact that they help the military, they're probably facing a firing squad. And some of them have already died. So uh, we're talking about 4,000 visas that need to be expedited. (laughs) Pretty sad situation. And what does that say to allies? I mean, for people that are helping us out, is that the way we're going to treat them? So uh, lots to talk about with uh, Matt Grills. Rich Fiesta will be joining us as our uh, second guest. And Rich, of course, is the executive director of the Alliance for Retired Americans. And uh, what we're going to talk about is uh, Social Security and Medicare. As you know, we pretty much reached our debt ceiling. And there's some hardliners, mainly in the House, that would like to cut Social Security, along with uh, Medicare. This argument has been going on for years, and the Republicans have a history of trying to attack social service programs. Many have called Social Security a Ponzi scheme. Well, Rich is going to explain how the uh, Social Security formula came about. You may recall back in the 80s when Reagan was president. They changed uh, the program a bit, and uh, they made sure that it was funded to, uh, I believe, before any cuts are made, like 2035, 2036. Well, the sponsors of the reforms back then targeted about 90% of wage and salary earnings as income to be taxed, which was pretty much the same percentage that was taxed when the program began back in the late 1930s. Here's the problem. Income inequality. As the rich got richer, the percentage of earnings covered by payroll taxes declined. It dropped another 2.1 percentage points between 2019 and 2022. So that 90% is down to uh, 81.4%. That difference, that difference, 81.4% to 90%, comes up to about $100 billion a year in lost Social Security revenue. And it's only going to get worse. So that's uh, that's the backstory of Social Security. Rich is going to touch on that and what needs to be done. You've heard the campaign scrap the cap because right now, after like $150,000, you don't pay into Social Security. So the very rich, they're paid in, in the first week of the new year. They're probably done already. All right, so Rich Fiesta, Alliance for Retired Americans, joining us to button up the show. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. we got some new numbers on union density. The United States had 14.285 million union members in calendar year 2022, which is 270,000 more than the year before. Now, all the gains, well, most of them, came in the private sector, where union membership increased by 293,000 to 7.2 million. The public sector, well, that is yet to fully recover from job losses, which many happened during the pandemic. And also, we have to point out that uh, the free riders, because of right to work, because of the Janus decision from years ago. There are people that are in unions that are not paying union dues. And we're talking about 7 million. They're not counted. They're not counted in these numbers. Liz Schuler took a look at the numbers yesterday, and this is what she said, that uh, in 2022 we saw working people rising up despite often illegal opposition from companies that would rather pay union-busting firms millions of dollars, then give workers a seat at the table. The momentum of the moment is clear. Organizing victories are happening in every industry, public and private, and every sector of our economy all across the country. The wave of organizing will continue to gather steam in 2023 and beyond, despite broken labor laws that rig the system against workers. A little breakdown here on... uh, where union density is the highest. It's in the Northeast and the Pacific Coast. Great Lakes states, not far behind. Hawaii, just shy of 22%. New York, 20.7%. They're second. One of every six workers in Alaska, Oregon, and California were union members in the survey. So were 13.1% of workers in Illinois, 14% in Michigan. Let's see, Pennsylvania, 14.1%, 14.9% in New Jersey. And then you have South Carolina, dead last, union density, 1.7%. The numbers also reinforce another message, the union wage, the union edge it wages, 20% premium, medium weekly wage wage. $1,219. Non-union, 1029 Stark difference there. Interesting day in France yesterday. Up to 750,000 protesters in Paris, Marseille, Toulouse, Lyon, on strike. You know why? They don't like what the government is trying to do with regard to the retirement age. They'd have to work longer before receiving a pension under the new rules, with the nominal retirement age rising from 62 to 64. The unions argue the pension overhaul threatens hard-fought rights and propose a tax on the wealthy or more payroll contributions from employers to finance the pension system. One union leader, Laurent Berger, called the government's plans unfair, Police unions opposed to the retirement reform also took part in the demonstrations while those who are on duty are bracing for potential violence if extremist groups joined. Well, that didn't happen, at least not yet. How about this? A majority of trains around France had to cancel, including some international connections. 20% of flights out of Paris. The Orly Airport canceled. Airlines are Warning of delays today as well. And, get this, electricity workers pledged to reduce power supplies as a form of protest. Again, we're talking at least a half million up to 750,000 protesters yesterday in France. Different labor laws in France. You don't see that kind of thing happening in the United States of America. All right, we're gonna take a quick break. Matt Grills on behalf of the American Legion coming up next.
0: You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens.
2: It takes Layuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate. LIUNA members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Layuna at layuna.org. That's allyuna.org.
0: There is unity and strength for workers.
2: We are the USW. We are the
0: USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda,
3: go to aflcio.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils.
0: Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferencz. And remember,
1: you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at OH.AFT.com org let's go to indianapolis right now and joining us on line number one is mr matt grills managing editor of the american legion magazine legion dot for complete updates as i indicated we'll cover the uh, february issue but a lot happened in the last congress due to some intense lobbying by a wow. number of veterans groups and that includes the american legion matt grills welcome uh, to america's workforce here i know you've been uh, covering all this and uh, let's just run down. I-, I see the Legion is calling this victories for veterans in the Consolidated Appropriations Act of fiscal 2023. That's a mouthful. So uh, talk to me about the good things that happened. Go ahead.
3: Well, like you said, these are what we consider vic- significant victories for veterans with this, with this Consolidated uh, Appropriations Act for fiscal 2023. Past December 23rd, the uh, one, of, one of the three items was the uh, National Buddy Check Week, which is something that we have been pushing for for a number of years. Um, this is uh, important, we think, for uh, reducing the veteran suicide rate, and uh, which is a big initiative of ours with the Be the One campaign right now. But for a long time, the Ameri- several years now, the American Legion has uh, encouraged its posts, its departments to conduct what we call buddy checks. Can be done through uh, phone calls. It can be done through emails. It can be done through texts. Uh, not uh, really just to check on members and, and uh, see how they're doing. But during COVID, especially, um, you have a lot of isolated veterans, and this was a way of reaching out to them. And so, what the American Legion has encouraged and uh, passed a resolution four years ago was for VA to establish an annual buddy check week. And what would that? What would be? Um, included in that, I think, is just uh, materials that VA would produce, uh, educational opportunities, materials, uh, references for veterans to learn how to reach out to others and, and do a wellness check, um, as well as expanding some resources for the what is known as the Veterans Crisis Line. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have a, a website actually set up. Uh, legion.org slash buddy check where you can uh, download just some helpful helpful tips booklets to help figure out how, how do i reach out to the veterans in my community and make sure that they're doing all right
1: matt where are we with uh, veteran suicide right now I, I saw a figure some years ago like uh, 20 per day something like that is that still constant what, what do we know
3: you know, I don't know the latest figures. That that's the the most recent one I had heard. Um, but like I said, the the Legion has been uh, doing the the Be the One initiative, uh, which yeah. ties in nicely with buddy checks, um, in the hope that really uh, we can reduce that rate by just raising awareness of, again, how do you communicate with, with a veteran who may be struggling? What are the signs? What should you be looking for? How do you talk to them? Um, because we really believe that each person has an opportunity to reach out to at least one veteran in their immediate circle, their, their family, their group of friends, and, and make a difference. It all just really starts with one person making a difference in that, that other person's life.
1: So what we're going to see here is a Buddy Check Week. Do we know when that week is, or haven't they determined that
3: yet? Uh, I don't believe so yet. That's uh, really what we do know now, just is that it's going to be something that's more than symbolic, just not something you hear, oh, it's Buddy Check Week. What what does that mean? This actually requires VA to produce um, some materials, a list of resources for veterans to, to educate people, and how to do it. Um, so it'll be again, uh, you know, a national scale, uh, putting a lot more resources behind that veterans crisis line so that if there is, you know, any increased usage during that designated week, that buddy check week that the VA can handle it. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, we're excited about it because this is something, again, that the Legion started, you know, in our own community, our own ranks, uh, to take care of veterans and check on them, it really, really evolved during uh, COVID nineteen, and uh, so that was you know twenty twenty. But uh, we're just uh, we've had a lot of support in in the Senate and the House for this, so we're excited to see where it goes from here.
1: Can you give that uh, link to your website on yes. Buddy Check?
3: Yeah, that's legion dot org slash buddy check. And we have some scripts, promotional items, um, frequently asked questions uh, that were designed for American Legion members who want to do it in their posts in their community. But I think really that they they would uh, apply for everyone. And hopefully sooner rather than later, you'll see VA producing some materials to to educate people on how to how to do an effective buddy check.
1: Legion dot org. Forward slash buddy check. Just go to that yeah. and you can uh, download. There's a pamphlet there that you can download. All right, let's move on to uh, VA health care for all remaining World War II vets. I- I'm a bit surprised by this. I-, I thought that they were taken care of. But can you explain what uh, was contained in that budget bill on this?
3: Yeah. Well, previously, uh, you know, this was based on if you had service-connected conditions, or your financial uh, status that that determined really, uh, I guess, the measure of medical benefits that, that you would receive. And so I believe it was 2017, the American Legion passed a resolution, and it was unanimous uh, saying that, uh, you know, all World War II veterans should have access to hospital care, medical services, nursing home care, regardless of these other factors. Um, and so this is for for people who didn't qualify under that previous means testing. And so I think the number I saw was that this affects probably forty thousand uh, people, forty thousand World War II vets. Um, uh, another figure I saw was la- I think last fall the National World War II Museum estimated maybe one hundred sixty seven thousand. World War II veterans who are, who are living. And so this would affect about 40,000 of them and make sure that they are able to have full access across the board to, to all the all stuff.
1: Again, we're talking hospital care, medical services, and nursing home care. Yeah, you're, you're talking about people that are probably 100 years old right now, often referred yep. to as the uh, the greatest generation. we got to take care of them, no doubt. Um, let's move on to this uh, special immigrant visa program for our Afghan allies. And this is sad, too, because we have to take care of the people that took care of our military. I mean, we were in Afghanistan for two decades, and there's a lot of people that helped the military because they needed interpreters. They didn't understand the language. And many of those interpreters, I understand, are still there, and they're probably Facing the death penalty for helping out the military. Where are we with this, yeah. Matt?
3: Yes. Well, uh, this is, again, this is a, an issue that the American Legion has been concerned about four years. In fact, we've had uh, at least two cover stories in recent memory of, uh, that have focused on our need to, uh, you know, be there for our allies. And, uh, in fact, many Legionnaires who served with, uh, Legion members who served with these uh, interpreters um, were so concerned and, and did everything they could to try to help them get out of the country. And so, really, what, what happened at the end of December is there's what's called the Special Immigrant Visas Program. Um, and it, it's kind of it, – it's complicated, but really, uh, a lot of these people have, uh, were facing the end of a two-year humanitarian parole. Uh, Some of the people who were, who were able to get here. And so what happened at the end of December, the deadline's been extended. Tens of thousands of these these Afghans will not have to go back, potentially go back to the Taliban-controlled Afghanistan this year. But that's not a permanent solution. We haven't fixed fixed the issue. Um, What we're really wanting to see is uh, the Afghan Adjustment Act would actually streamline this whole SIV process it creates a task force and it will give these people, um, these refugees, long-term permanent resident status. So that's what we're calling on Congress to do is to give a permanent residency or provide a path to permanent residency for these, these 80,000 Afghan allies and their family members who, who fled when we left in August of 21. But there's still 160,000 SID-eligible Afghan allies still there Living under Taliban rule, and so the bottom line is: we, you know, we have to do better. We have to do better on this. They stood with us against the Taliban. They risked their lives. Their families risked their lives. We have to pass this legislation to uh, bring them, uh, give them freedom in return for what they did for for us.
1: And immigration is such a hot potato of a topic. I mean, you've got uh, so many people in this country that are in positions of power that don't they want to pretty much close our borders altogether they don't want anybody coming in from another country and it's sad that uh, you're talking about some folks that have helped us over there over the years and they're not being treated very well right now 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 there is some money just to clarify here in the last congress there's money included for the extension of the special immigrant visa program, but that's just an extension. Then you're looking for a permanent solution. It sounds like that's where you went. Right? With this,
3: yeah. Right? This this is a the, the Afghan Adjustment Act is a, a little. It's a separate issue from the extension of this program. So the Afghan Adjustment Act was not approved. It was just an extension of this special immigrant visas program. But the, this program is something that, that we've supported for a long time uh and you know it's where it's been applied it, it's it's worked and it's it's you know ma- we've made sure that a lot of these people uh were able to to get out uh before and right, right at the last minute but there's still so many more so many more uh who are still there and they're eligible for the SIV under our rules Uh, we, we just need to, we need to speed this process up. We need to, you know, put every resource we have into, uh, making sure that that these applications are processed. Uh, my understanding is just that a lot of them are just hung up and there's Mm -hmm. been a lot of red tape as, as is something that tends to happen with the government, but, you know, lives are in the balance here.
1: Lots of good news for the last Congress here, victories for veterans, and much of what we talked about here is all posted on the Legion's website, legion.org, and we didn't even include the, uh, the PACT Act, which uh, passed last summer dealing with uh, the burn pits and all the soldiers that suffered problems because of those burn pits, but that's another show. Right now, we're going to take a quick break. Matt Grills joining us on our live line. Matt is managing editor of the American Legion magazine. We'll talk about the February issue later in the show. We'll check in with Rich Fiesta on behalf of the Alliance for Retired Americans. Back in a few minutes.
0: This is America's Workforce.
2: It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. Org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored
0: in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American.
1: The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752.
2: America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Waterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com.
0: Now, back to Ed Flash Farrance with America's Workforce.
1: And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just do this. Sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and Give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. And if you like a show, I know you do. Share that show. We appreciate doing that because we want to grow the show in 2023. Get more sponsors, get more good guests on America's Workforce. Celebrating 30 years. Started the show in 1993. The podcasting will be going on uh, three years right now. Okay, let's go back to our live line. Rejoin Matt Grills. Matt is the managing editor. Of the american legion magazine and this segment deals with the upcoming issue this is the february issue in february is black history month this is the cover story i'm glad you're doing this because uh this goes back to 1950s america and uh, i was surprised when when i read this article uh, you got the president of the united states in 1948 harry truman who issues an executive order saying okay no more racial discrimination in the armed forces. Well, that was the executive order, but that was it. It didn't go very far. I guess uh, I guess some branches of the service picked up on it. The Army was a little bit late. Matt talked to me about what happened. In that time of the United States, go ahead.
3: Well, well, history, as you know, I, I've heard it said, is never as cut and dried as as the books. You can read something, but then when you dig a little deeper, you're like, "Oh, it wasn't that simple." And so, uh, Thomas Ward, uh, I had read about a presentation he did. Uh, he's the the historian and author who wrote this piece for us, and uh, I had read about a presentation he did at the African American Military History Museum. Uh, on on this topic, and I said, you know, would you be willing to write for us? And and I was just felt so uh, well, as you said, I mean, I was surprised uh, and feel quite enlightened after reading what he had to say um, about how the Korean War really exposed the flaws of military segregation and years after. That executive order, you still had uh, segregation in the army and you still had discrimination and the Korean War, really what what happened there through a sequence of events, it just it led to exposing uh, segregation uh, as, as the terrible thing that it was.
1: Now, did the Korean War, the fact that that happened in, what, 1950 to 1953, did that start a catalyst of change and i know it didn't happen overnight but i'm just wondering was that was that the game changer there when they they went to war they they laid their life down for the country
3: yeah i I think what what really uh what was interesting to me was that the you Because you had you, what you had at this time, more and more uh, African-Americans were joining the military in the post-war years because they saw it as a pathway to opportunity. They saw it as a way to move up in society. And so then, of course, you have uh, while it's still you have a segregated army, you have more. Uh, blacks who were in the army. And so when the Korean War began, you had a lot of them stationed in Japan um, and other areas in the east. So some of the first troops to arrive in Korea were these all-black units. And initially, um, you know, they they won a victory and a battle. But then, as the author explains, um, you know, a few months later, rumors start flying around. Well, it really wasn't that Big of a deal, and you know there were a lot of um, accusations and, and uh, false statements being made about how black soldiers fought. And really, in the end, what it came down to was you had a lot of uh, underqualified white officers commanding. Um, and and it wasn't that black troops couldn't fight and fight well, as that was a myth that was be- being perpetuated. But just that uh, that segregation was was causing these problems.
1: Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of blacks entered the Army thinking it was uh, desegregated because of what Truman right. said. And they, they were surprised. Well, wait a minute. The president said it's supposed to be this way, and it's not. What, what got me, and I'm sure it got you, was this comment by the Secretary of the Army back then. And I believe this was uh, right before the Korean War. Kenneth Royal or Royale? He insisted that African-Americans were, quote, fearful, unreliable, and lacked the manly virtues of the warrior, making them unfit for the fight.
3: I was stunned when I read those words and, and those sentiments from, from Army leaders at the time. And I'm thinking this is 40 years after African-Americans distinguished themselves in combat in World War One for a country that was discriminating against them, and they were still... Uh, you know, uh, many, many of these soldiers were, uh, you know, performing actions in combat that would have given them the Medal of Honor had they not uh, been discriminated against. And so I was, you know, I guess I was floored that even in the 1950s, there were still just these deep-seated prejudices and ways of, of, of viewing uh, uh, blacks and their service. And so, uh, I, I really, really did enjoy this, this piece by Tom Ward and he knocked it out of the park. I think, uh, my favorite, uh, was the, the bit he included in there on, uh, the group called the Buffalo Rangers, uh, who were, uh, a special basically, uh, new World War II combat veterans who had, they had served in the war there. And so here in Korea, they were dropping behind enemy lines, uh, participating on Operation Tomahawk and, uh, you know, just an incredible um, specialized all black unit that served with distinction. And so there are just some amazing uh, African-American Korean War heroes. And he highlights just a few. Um, but we were we were thrilled to include this piece and just remind people of the rough road, really, that, that we, we faced getting to integrated forces.
1: Yeah, it is the cover story in the February issue, Black History Month, the rough road to integrated forces, American Legion, fit for the fight by Thomas Ward, Jr. Okay, uh, one more story here. Uh, Everybody's talking about the high cost of fuel, energy, energy independence. This uh, article is titled Power Up, Total Energy Independence is Unlikely, but the United States has become a production giant. I don't think a lot of people realize how much energy is being produced in the United States. And if you go back to 2019, we produced more than we were using. That's good. Now, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of people wondering, well, then why is the price of gasoline so high? Matt, pick it up from there. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. Well, we've wanted to uh, have a feature on energy independence for a long time. And and you hear that term, energy independence. But what does it really mean? I mean, the American Legion has even passed a resolution saying, You know, we we support efforts to attain and retain energy independence. We believe that, you know, energy independence, as much as you can achieve it, is it's a national security issue, really. But what, you know, what is energy independent, though? Is it, you know, being isolated from the world in your own bubble and just producing what you need and that's it well the author explains energy independence I don't know that it could be totally achieved at least the way the markets are set up you you're in a global market and you will always have some energy coming in and coming out uh, because and then of course you've got events like the war in ukraine that affect gas prices and so so what one person considers energy independent may not be what another person would consider energy independent but the bottom line is the the that our country is is producing um far more than it ever has and uh continues to i mean we are we are an energy giant but does that mean that we uh, aren't going to be affected by global prices, no. Uh, so it is—it's it's a complicated issue with a lot of factors. You have, you know, the decline of coal. You have um, the uh, shale revolution. A lot of these things uh, have. There's a lot of interplay between it all. Um, but, the Amer- the, but the United States has become, like you said, a production giant. Will we be energy independent? I don't know the That would happen in the way that a lot of people think it would happen. But um, we continue to make good use of the resources that we have. And I think that hopefully the coming years are going to keep us even more on top.
1: There's one part of the article talks about uh, the end in sight for coal. Boy, if you go back to the uh, Clinton administration, when he left the White House in 20. 2001, there were 30,000 coal mining jobs in eastern Kentucky. By the time George W. Bush left office, that number was cut in half. You go to Obama, that region was below 4,000. In the last uh, four years, going back to 2019, over 10,500 US coal jobs have been lost and uh, and it's it's just going to continue because things are changing when it comes to energy. All good stuff here Matt Grills. I thank you so much for coming to the table today. Matt is the managing editor of the American Legion Magazine for complete updates legion.org. You take care, stay safe. We'll talk down the road, okay, buddy? Thank you so much. Have a great right. day sir. You got it. Quick break. Rich Fiesta on behalf of the Alliance for Retired Americans coming up next.
0: This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com.
2: It takes LIUNA to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers' International Union of North America. Delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L I U N A.org. The Heat and Frost
1: Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org.
0: A great union requires a reliable election system survey and ballot systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections by partnering with sbs your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service sbs is here to help you conduct your union vote securely transparently and with trust building always in mind visit survey and ballot to learn more now back to america's workforce Here's Ed Flash Ferrens.
1: And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. And remember this, too. If you like a show, I know a lot of you like what we're doing here on America's Workforce. In fact, this show's been going on for three decades this year. Started in 1993. And I have been hosting this, loving doing that job, for 25 years this uh, July. So if you like a show, share that show because our sponsors like it. We count all the downloads. We want to bring more sponsors so we could bring more guests to America's workforce and give the workers point of view. That's what it's all about. Let's go to Washington right now. Join one of our longtime regulars. That would be Rich Fiesta. Rich is the executive director of the Alliance for Retired Americans. RetiredAmericans.org is their website. And you can check them out on Twitter at active retirees, and that's a perfect word for them because they're very active and they have to be active because of all the shenanigans going on in Washington. Rich Fiesta, welcome back to the America's Workforce Show. Thank you for uh, joining us today.
4: Thanks, Flash, and it's always great being back with you.
1: Okay, some of those shenanigans, let's get into it because uh, I'm hearing a lot about this uh, debt ceiling, and uh, we got... Actually, a minority of people, and they've been vocal for a long time. It used to be the Tea Party. Now I think they call themselves the Freedom Caucus. And they gave Kevin McCarthy a really, really rough time to become House Speaker. So he had to cut some deals, and that's the scary part. What are you hearing about what they want to do? as far as making sure that we are not always going into more debts, and usually you have to raise the debt ceiling to do that. Rich, talk to me about what's going on.
4: Yes, uh, Congress has to pass a law that allows the Treasury to go out and issue Treasury notes and borrow, but um, everybody, well, the rates have been low. They're coming back. But, you know, everybody from individuals to large pension funds buy. Uh, most other uh, industrial countries don't do this or have this procedure where the legislature has to pass it. We do. So and until the very recent past, the last 15 or 20 years, it was sort of. Um, just kind of housekeeping thing, but it's now become political, and as you mentioned, this Freedom Caucus crowd, uh, it's going to have to happen, that is raising the debt ceiling sometime this year, the Treasury Department will tell everybody, uh, maybe in the summer to fall, but it depends how revenues come into the government, but they're going to have to do it. Normally it's either done on its own or it's put in with another package of uh, uh, bills and spending, but th- this crowd wants it. Uh, on its own and then wants to use it as leverage, and they're very open about this, to cut our social insurance programs, Social Security and Medicare spending. And they're upfront about it. They misrepresent and call them entitlements because they're not, because we pay for them out of our own wages. They're social insurance programs. And uh, that's the uh, crisis we could face later this year, Flash.
1: Do we have any idea... What kind of cuts we're talking about? I know it's kind of early in the game, but maybe there's some rumors going around. What do you know, Rich?
4: Well, the grab bag that we had a beat back when George Bush tried uh, shenanigans like this in '05 and '06, and then uh, around 2010 or so with the uh, so-called Bowles-Simpson Commission. I mean, they, you know, there, are, there are folks uh, in this country that have never liked Social Security since 1935, and they've had uh, ideas ever since. One is raising the way age, raising the retirement age. It's already mm-hmm. was raised in the '80s gradually to sixty-seven, and now they're talking uh, sixty-nine to seventy. Uh, for example, I mean Ron Johnson, senator from uh, Wisconsin, you know, has publicly stated that too. Uh, that is an effect, a, a cut, because you don't get your earned benefits till later in life, and it's upwards over your lifetime. Could be upwards of a fifteen to twenty percent cut. That's one thing. They could cut the COLA formula, uh, which we had a beat back about 10 and 12 years ago, for example. They could cut the amount of benefits that you actually get based on your wages. You know, there's a formula when you retire based on your wages, you get X dollars in – uh, so, security benefits well, they could say it 's going to be x minus ten percent or x minus twenty percent you know from here on out uh, as well. They could cut the uh, early benefit even though it 's lower at age sixty two and it smooths out over your lifetime. They could cut that as well, so uh, there are a whole host of bad things that could happen. <laughs>
1: Now, there is a way out of this. We, we can scrap the cap. You and I have talked about that. I want to get into that. But but take me back to the 1980s here, because in the 1980s, and I recall this very, very well, that's when Reagan was president, and they took a look at Social Security, a hard look at Social Security, and they say, you know what, we've got to make some reforms for it to be solvent. And right now, in fact, what is the, the day, if, if nothing is done, Rich, nothing at all for Social Security when will some cuts happen? What's that? What's that date? Isn't it like yeah. in the in the in the thirties or something like that?
4: Yeah, two thousand thirty-four. Uh, right now, from what the Social Security trustees every year, because they have actuaries there who are not political and just do the numbers. So after two thousand thirty-four, it's not that Social Security goes bankrupt. That's another word we should never use because money will always be going in and going out because people are working. Uh, But in 2034, it won't have, if nothing happens under current projections, it will not have the funding to pay full benefits. And people, again, if nothing happens under current projections, would only get about 80% of their benefits, because that would be the money coming in from the economy, and that would be able uh, to pay beneficiaries. Okay, no surplus as there is right now. That's the other thing. The current surplus gotcha. would be spent down.
1: So let, let's talk about uh, income distribution here, because mm-hmm. when the, uh, the parties got together back in the 80s, uh, there was a percentage, I believe it was like 90% of the wage and salary earnings were taxed back then. That number has gone down. Over the years, maybe you could explain what happened here. I I guess this is part of income inequality, the rich getting richer and the rest of us kind of just stagnant. Is that right?
4: That's exactly right. What happened in 1983 is when they had the great compromises, they raised the age. They raised the withholding tax as well. uh, But they applied it to they counted up everybody's wages in the country from some part time person to uh, somebody making a million dollars a year plus. They counted, you know, one big pot of wages, and they said we are going to cover 90 percent of that big pot of wages will be subject to the Social Security withholding uh, uh, tax, which is apparently the way it was uh, when Social Security was first started in 1935. So it was so if you had 10 percent more than that, that's how the cap came in. You didn't pay. Well, as you said, what's happened over time? We have inequality the wealthiest three to five percent their incomes have gone crazy high since the 1980s and for the most of us especially uh working people on moderate incomes wages and salaries their real wages have gone down so now in co- instead of covering 80%, 90%, excuse me, we're now down to only 81% of wages are covered by the Social Security tax. So that's a big gap of revenue, money that the Social Security Trust Fund is not getting anymore.
1: And, and Rich, when you say a big chunk of money, I have a figure on that. All right. One, $100 billion a year in lost revenue because of income inequality in America. Yeah. So yeah, so that's the real story of Social Security. We we have a problem there. Okay, now scrap the cap right now, mm-hmm. and I'm, I guess it's going. What is it going up to? A uh, hundred and sixty thousand, and that's when you would stop paying into Social Security. Is that the figure for this year?
4: That's right. That's the two thousand twenty three number. Right. Okay. One hundred and sixty thousand two hundred. Yeah.
1: So so anybody that makes that amount of money and God bless you, if you are, <laughs> you're, you're doing well. But after that, it, it's almost like you get a tax break because you're not paying into Social Security, but you're still going to get Social Security right. when you retire. That's so right. if we scrap the cap, would that um, the solve the problem we're talking about right now and, and extend the life of Social Security without any cuts?
4: Um, if we scrap, scrap the cap, yes. Uh, over, over time, it would add decades of solvency to the Social Security Trust Fund, and you don't have to tinker with retirement age benefits or the COA uh scrapping the cap will get us most of the way there uh and then um over time because most of the scrap the cap bills uh don't go cold turkey You you scrap it over five or most of them are 10 years but that is the easiest and least harmful to beneficiaries way to fix social security finances
1: so rich one more question here with the with the new house the Senate is still in, in pretty safe hands right now. Is anybody talking about this, scrapping the cap idea?
4: Uh, well, there have been a number of bills through the years, um, starting with now retired Senator uh, Tom Harkin about 12 years or so ago. Uh, he had a bill uh, that gradually scrapped the cap, um, Senator Bernie Sanders year over year, and he's uh, he was recently chair of the Budget Committee. Now he's going to be the chair of the uh, Health, Education, and Labor Committee. He's had a bill in. Uh, Congressman John Larson who unfortunately moves from chairman to ranking Democrat on the Social Security Subcommittee in the House has had a bill in too. So there have been bills over a number of years. This is really mathematics. It's really not hard to figure out, uh, to scrap the cap. Now some of them uh only scrap it above two hundred and fifty thousand. So you wouldn't pay people between one hundred sixty and two hundred fifty wouldn't pay. Others do it uh, over $400,000, um, and others do it, you know, regardless of income. So the idea of somehow scrapping the cap has been around, uh, but just not acted on.
1: So, Rich, I can only assume this will be a priority for you this year on behalf of the Alliance for Retired Americans, scrap the cap and extend the life of Social Security. I really enjoyed the conversation. I think a lot of people don't understand the mechanics of Social Security, how that formula is based, and uh, it's important that they know the facts and what can be done to make sure that it's solvent. That's what this is all about.
4: Yeah, we have to be informed because we know the people who have never liked Social Security are going to be using the – it's bankrupt scare tactics, uh, scaring young people you're never going to get it, also another lie – So we have to be ready, Flash, this year. And we at the Alliance for Retired Americans are, and I think a lot of people in the labor movement and people who think seriously about our country are as well.
1: Well, you keep up the fight, my brother. Rich Fiesta, Executive Director of the Alliance for Retired Americans, retiredamericans.org. You take care. We'll talk in a month. Okay, brother? Thank you, Flash. Always great with you. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up on Monday, we'll check in with the Delaware Building Trades and the latest from the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend.
0: That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group.
2: Find out more information online at labortools.com.